From the journeys of belonging to blackness, blackness. I'm India Lorik Wilmot. Nobody else can do this job. You're listening to the podcast, Talking Journeys of Belonging to Blackness. Peace and light, friends. Joining us today is Yvonne Blake, legacy owner of the historic Hakeem's Bookstore. Located in West Philadelphia, Akeem's Bookstore was founded by Yvonne's father, Dawood Akeem, in 1959 and is the first and oldest Black-owned bookstore in Philadelphia and considered one of the oldest operating Black-owned bookstores in the United States. Focused on amplifying African and African-American history and culture, Akeem's Bookstore is known throughout the country for having access to rare books, periodicals, and Afrocentric artifacts, and for generations being considered a groundbreaking source of information not available in mainstream libraries and bookstores. Today, a King's Bookstore continues as a mainstay in the community, inspiring the development of more recent independent Black-owned bookstores in the Philadelphia area. A King's Bookstore is set apart from the rest because its roots run deep in the Black community and remains a source for education not readily accessible to all. Welcome, Yvonne Blake. Hello, how are you today? I'm doing well. Right about now. Act one, call to adventure. So Yvonne, I've done my research and have found that Akeem's Bookstore remains the oldest operating Black-owned bookstore in the United States since 1959. And only Marcus Books, which is located in Oakland, California, was founded in 1960 and has been around as long as Akeem's Bookstore. What do you think your father, Dawood Akeem, would say to that? I think he would be surprised and very happy, especially since he knew the owner of Marcus Books and they actually used to do business together. I think he would be very surprised that his business is still going after all these years. So your father started selling books out of the trunk of his car before opening the bookstore. So what would you say was the inspiration behind Akeem's bookstore? He first discovered some books by the author J.A. Rogers, 100 Amazing Facts About the Negro and the Five Negro Presidents. And from there, it led to some other of J.A. Rogers' books. And he met Mr. Rogers and then started selling his books because once he found out that we had a history that didn't start with slavery, he became interested in educating everybody else about that fact. Can you share with the audience a little bit more about the book by J.A. Rogers for folks that may not be familiar? Well, Well, it mentioned the fact that there were uh, presidents that had African-American blood that were considered white. The 100 Amazing Facts just talks about different historical facts going back to Ethiopia and other countries about uh, that told about African-Americans. So I think that says a lot about your dad in the sense that he was this visionary being inspired by a book and felt compelled to be able to share this wisdom and access to resource to other people. So how would you describe your your father and why do you think educating African descendants about their history was so important to him? Well, my father was very principled, proud, and very intelligent, and he had a thirst for knowledge. He recalls being discriminated against as a young boy, even back in in the 40s, when he would know the answers to questions, the white teachers would only call on the white students, and that perplexed him and bothered him. So 
The more he became aware of his own self-worth, the more he felt it was important for other African-Americans to be aware of our history and to build their self-esteem. So that's one thing to say that it's just like it's so important to be able to edify and amplify and encourage future generations. But that's a that's a significant jump to then say I want to start selling books out of my car and then subsequently have a bookstore. Because there are other ways of being engaged in the community that he could have chosen to do, but he chose this route. Because there were no other bookstores, he felt that books were the gateway to education and knowledge. So that was his method. I mean, he spoke to people about things, but they tended not to believe him. And the way he was able to prove that what he was saying was true was in showing them the written word. So that's why books became his weapon to to help educate everyone, not just African-Americans, but especially at that time, African-Americans, because there were no African-American bookstores owned by an African-American or that sold books written by African-Americans. If there were, there were very few books that were out and they weren't in the mainstream. Now, you've taken the helm of the bookstore since your father passed away in 1997. And as I'm sure you can attest to, that's an awesome responsibility on so many different levels. Yet your entrepreneurial spirit endeavors you to do so. What continues to inspire you and and how do you see carrying forth your father's legacy in the work you do today? As I became older, I became aware, more aware of the oppression and discrimination of African-Americans, and I began began to see value in what my father was doing. In the beginning, as I said, he didn't have many customers. He always engaged my sister and I in working in the bookstore and trying to get us, you know, on the same page with him. And it was a fight. It was a struggle. Uh, Even his family members didn't support him in what he was doing because this seemed so far out left field, but he stuck with it. He was determined. He was very upset by the ignorance and hatred against African-Americans. And once he found out that we were proud people, he felt that everybody needed to know that. He started out like as a vendor going to different events. Then he started selling out the trunk of his car because he worked full time. And then he was finally able to open his first brick and mortar store. But as I said, there were many, many days we sold books and we sold greeting cards. And there were days when nobody came in that store. I was a 10-year-old girl. I'm thinking, what is my father doing? You know, like, like nobody wants to read these books. You know, they're not teaching me this stuff in school. So he had a battle, but he stuck with it because he knew what he was doing was right. And then what changed? What inspired you to then take over and carry the torch forward in your father's legacy? always been exposed to the store as a young girl. I had a full-time job. He handled the store, He, you know, and I had my life over here in corporate America. I realized that I wasted so many of my years giving all my time and energy to that. Amen to that and to be able to take that same energy and pour it into our community, into ourselves, into our families. You got to preach on that. Well, first of all, my father's death was a surprise. He was only 65 years old. He was the healthiest man on the planet. He ate right. He did everything right. He got cancer, which cancer doesn't care like who it attacks. And one of the things we promised him was that we would keep the store open as long as we could. And once I retired from my job, I was the one. I mean, even when we talked about things, I said, I will do what I can and keep the store going. Once I realized how the community reacted to the store and I started hearing stories about it because I was somewhat removed during the years that I was working. Wow, that must have been a huge transition for you. So what was it like to move from corporate to more of a entrepreneurial owning your own business? 
things were so different that I was in corporate America and I wasn't exposed to the day-to-day racism that's so open right now. So I kind of felt like I belonged in that group and they were paying my salary, but I've learned a whole lot different since then. For me, I'm a lover of books. I'm a reader of books. Books tend to be a source of inspiration in, in many different ways for me in my life. And so I imagine for yourself growing up, you know, perhaps maybe it was a little bit taken for granted that, oh, I we always have these books and dad's always talking about these things. So it's not like you needed to go very far for this enrichment and this education. And then for you to come back to it in the later years to say, wow, there's value to this because look at the ways in which the bookstore and my dad's legacy has informed so many other people as you were talking about the stories that people share. For you to say, you know what, I want to be able to carry the torch, but then perhaps I need to develop other kinds of skills in terms of entrepreneurship. So tell us a little bit about the the Power Up Your Business program, how you got involved, how did you see those lessons help to inform how you continue to support your father's legacy? Oh, let's see. The business was doing pretty well until around 2010. And then we had some real projects going on and a lot of businesses were adversely affected. I retired from my job in 2013. So I was able to come into the store full time. Then some other family issues happened and I had to take care of my sick mother. So I wasn't able to be there all the time and the business really floundered. So we were about to close our doors because I was supporting the bookstore on my own. We had no customers. We were only open one or two days a week. You know, I would get family members to come in. And I finally said, I can't do this anymore. You know, we're not, we're losing money. And one of the local newspapers got a hold of the story that we were going to close. And the response was so overwhelming. You know, people started telling stories. People started calling me. People started coming in. Then I had people offer to come in and help me. They didn't want the store to close. They felt that it was an asset to the community. We've been in that same location for, I guess, at least 50 years. And wow, that is a significant feat. It overwhelmed me and it shifted my thinking. And because of all of that notoriety, one of the uh, business people that I'm involved with told me about the Power Up program. That's a great opportunity, but I'm sure you were probably a little bit reticent because that wouldn't require you to go back to school and take classes and to do that all over again. What did you end up learning while you were there? After I got there, I realized a lot of things. I was trying to run the store by myself. I'm not a person that can like delegate. And I realized once I got to that program that some of the same problems that I was having as an older person or the same problems that young people are having as they were trying to support their businesses. So the Power Up program gave me uh, resources to, to as to how to grow my business. It gave me marketing tips because that was information I didn't have. I had customer service ability. I had financial uh, ability. But to actually try to bring the business up to the 21st century was something else because we were trying to do business the way my father originally did business and had been doing so for so long. Okay, so give us a little bit more of an example or some context. I mean, when my father died, computers were just becoming popular. Their cell phones were just becoming popular. Popular, And I realized by going to Power Up that I could not continue to do business the way that I was doing business and that I needed to ask for help. And the Power Up program supplied that help. They put us all with a coach. I went to class. It was only one night a week for three hours. I think the program was either eight or 12 weeks. And the knowledge that I got there was just really helpful to me. And it enabled me to put some things into place and also to tell people what 
what I needed. To tell people what you needed. That's hard for me. <laughs> I think that's hard for most people. And I think too, when you are a woman and a woman of color trying to run a business, it's so easy to make certain kinds of demands in other spaces and places in our lives. But to really say, when it comes to my business... This is what I want. This is what I need. And this is what I require. And so mm -hmm. understanding that it's March, it's Women's History Month. This says a lot about you being a woman entrepreneur as well. Yes, because I basically did not have all the training that I needed to run this business. And once I acknowledged that, and as I said, was able to ask for help, the gentleman that that volunteers with me now, he got me, he's, he's done a lot with my marketing. He handles my Instagram. I mean, I can handle Facebook. I'm just... I'm not really good with all the technology and not really trying to be. So he really helped a lot. And then we also got a website and that was a big step up for us. That's bringing the business into the 21st century. We didn't have money, but, you know, I realized I've got to put out money in order to make money. Absolutely. So what are some of the things that you all ended up doing specifically? So we got a website designed and we, we got people to help us with, with different things that we were trying to do in the store. And we, we eventually got to where we were having in-house events like book signings and other things. And all of this was new to me, you know, and it was like, I don't know if we can do this, you know, and, and he's much younger than me. So he's like, yeah, yeah, we can do that. We really work pretty good together. <laughs> Absolutely. And who says a mentor cannot be younger than you? And he encourages me to step out of my comfort zone. That's beautiful. Be what you want to see. Act two, the road. So by observation, the rise and fall of Black radical politics ha has always had an impact on the popularity of Black bookstores. So we saw this during the height of the Black power movement in the late 1960s through the mid-1970s or so. And then still 10 years into King's bookstore being in existence, it too was one of the Black-owned bookstores the FBI regularly surveilled under the direction of then-director J. Edgar Hoover. So how did your father manage this type of government tactics? Because I'm sure, especially if he's in concert with Marcus Books, the owner there, I'm thinking about the, the Black Panthers and everything that's going on and this different student-led movement, war protests that's happening in on the West Coast, and then he's on the East Coast here. How does one manage that sort of pressure where you know, are they tapping our lines or taking photographs? Like, I could just imagine. I didn't learn about that until like maybe with the last three or four years. He never talked about it. Somebody brought it to my attention. He did not talk about it. And they told me that he used to just say, oh, yeah, they're standing across the street taking pictures again. And he ignored them. He just ignored them. They they would sometimes maybe I was told send somebody into the store, you know, to look around and see what we were selling. We weren't selling anything subversive, you know, and he just didn't let anybody intimidate him because he knew that he was not doing anything wrong. And he was a very principled man and he was going to continue doing what he was doing. Why do you think he never spoke about that? Well, he didn't speak about it to me, probably because I wasn't there. <laughs> you know, he talked about it among, you know, again, I said I was away doing my own thing during that period of time. I talked to uh, uh, some of his friends later and, and they told me about it. And then somebody approached me and told me there were FBI files that I could look at. And I was amazed they were following him to meetings. They had his tag number and everything. My father was a person that didn't focus on negativity. He always said, you have to keep positive energy around you. And so 
resistance. He wasn't breaking the law. He wasn't going to let anybody intimidate him from doing what he felt he had to do. And so fast forward in more present times, learning about your dad and learning about this experience and these different governmental tactics to put pressure on him and the bookstore and the content and the kinds of things that he was sharing with the community. When you kind of juxtapose it with what we are seeing today around the hashtag Black Lives movements, both locally and globally, how do you think all of this has impact or has had an impact on Akeem's bookstore? Well, after the murder of George Floyd, everything didn't about faced. All of a sudden, we were flooded with internet orders from all over the United States for books on race and racism. And people that had never shopped in our store before were coming into the store. And we noticed that a lot of these books on anti-racism and whatnot were being purchased by white people. And I think it was because George Floyd was a wake-up call that Black people have not been complaining about our mistreatment, we weren't making this up. I mean, it was like right in your face what happened to him. And it was just, it was just totally amazing. It really gave us an uptick in sales and internet sales. And then of course COVID came. So then I was forced to working out of my house. And I mean, I almost couldn't keep up with, with the orders and that has stayed pretty consistent. We have more walk-in traffic now. And I've had people write me letters telling me that they have benefited from white privilege all their life and they now wanted to educate themselves about what was going on. Now that's awesome because that's why your dad went into the business in the first place. To understand that we were equal to everyone else, that we had accomplishments, that we had contributed to the United States and that we weren't just second class citizens. So it was it was very overwhelming because it happened so fast. But it was because of such a tragic event uh, with George Floyd. And then everyone was home stuck to watch it. And it was on repeat on every news channel and outlet that we can think of that no one could avoid seeing. That's true, too. Yes. That's true. It was a wake up call for a lot of decent people. And, you know, I said, okay, we've been here for 30, 40 years trying to tell people, you know, that you need to educate yourselves about our accomplishments and stop trying to hide our history. And now it was right here in your face. And so if there was anything positive to come out of that, I think it really opened up the conversation about racism and discrimination. And if you were to compare your time with the time that your father was being surveilled by the FBI, would people consider him to be a radical of sorts? People kind of wanted to call him, I guess, the FBI, not a radical. My father never said we were better than anybody else. He just said we were equal to and we needed to be treated as equals. You know, my father had friends of all races, of, you know, all genres. He was just a very open person, but he judged people on their merits. He never discouraged us from having white friends, black friends, Indian friends. And, you know, it it came through at his funeral, all the different people that came to see him. I mean, that's an interesting point to raise around radicalism, where on the one hand, you have folks that say, no, we are equal. And that's fact, full stop. Mm -hmm. And then for people who are engaged in supremacist tactics, just the idea to say that there is equality, there's equity, that in and of itself is radical. Yes, it is. That really pushes up against the kinds of structures, the oppressive structures that we fight against each and every day in all facets of our life, just so that we can walk around and live as full human beings. That is correct. And, you know, I often would, I just wish he were here so that I could get his take on what's going on. And I'd love to know what he would be doing right now, you know, to advance our cause. What do you think he would be doing? 
I think he would be he would be selling books, but my father was also a good speaker. So I think he might be going to colleges, universities and schools and speaking. He did used to speak at Morehouse. He had a store in Atlanta, Georgia. That was the other crazy thing he did. He opened a store all the way in Atlanta. And I'm thinking, who has two stores so far away? But he opened a store in Atlanta. He was well known at Morehouse and at Clark and, and at Bellman. And he was he was a very learned man. He, he didn't just get up and talk. He had facts to, to back up what he was speaking about. And he was well-respected. Do you think he would have written something? I think you can't so. have a bookstore and not have your own book in it. I know. No. Yes, I think so. Uh, in the early years, he did ABCs of health coloring book for children, which we still have. <laughs> and it's got pictures of African-American children. It, it goes by the ABCs. It tells you the different foods that you should eat for health. And I came across those books in the basement of the store. I, there were cases of them. He did write a book on Arabic and African names. And what inspired the topic for that book? became a devout Muslim in his later life, taught himself fluent Arabic. Wow. I mean, he just, he was just amazing. And I, and I didn't realize how amazing he was, unfortunately, some of it until after he had passed. Yeah. And I think some of that is what motivates me, that he was so determined in what he did, even in the face of adversity. Absolutely. Now, over the last several years, you know, we've seen companies like Amazon become a near monopoly particularly for online book sales and ebook. And notwithstanding what you were saying about just all of us watching over and over again George Floyd's murder and how that prompted specifically for this for Akeem's bookstore a volume an uptick a significant uptick in online purchases and book sales directly from you all we still need to acknowledge that Generally speaking, the online sales and ebooks have had an adverse impact on brick and mortar bookstores and especially black owned bookstores. So there are things that are happening simultaneous. Amazon exists, but all these brick and mortars are closing down. How do you ensure a King's bookstore can overcome this challenge? And maybe to be helpful as a, a type of call to action, what supports do you think are needed for the future of black owned bookstores? like a King's bookstore to stay resilient and to thrive? Well, one of the things we focused on is remaining committed to our original focus, which was education. We sell books that you cannot find sometimes in mainstream bookstores that really deal with the true African-American experience, not just scratching the surface, but getting into the true history and dealing with everyday problems that we have. I mean, one of the books we sell is called Working While Black. You know, to some people, that's not an issue. But for us, it is an issue. You know, there's so many things that are that are thrown at us that we have to dodge that the average person doesn't or the average white person doesn't have to deal with. As far as Amazon, I have people that tell me, yes, I could probably get this book from Amazon, but we'd rather get it from you. We'd rather shop black. And it seems like there's more focus on putting black dollars back into the black community. We also try to make the visit to Hakeem's bookstore an experience. We try to welcome everyone. We do special orders over the phone. If there's a book that you're looking for, you know, we will try to find it for you. We try to keep that personal touch, like remembering who people are, remembering what kind of books they like. Well, that's nice to be able to have that personal touch. Now, what are some of the other supports that you all might need? As far as what kind of support we need, of course, we need the financial support from the community and others in the form of sales, grants and donations. You know, we're pretty we're pretty independent. And I've many times gone into my own pocket to keep the store going. And that's what you have to do. 
And what about issues related to gentrification? How does that impact Akeem's bookstore? The number of Black-owned businesses on 52nd Street has dwindled. And I just kind of say, like, I'm here. I've been here. I'm not going anywhere. There aren't many places uh, to get educated on that corridor. There is a library. But, you know, there's a lot of nail salons and, and other kind of businesses. It's like there's no focus on bringing up the community. And so that's what our focus is. By having Hakeem's Bookstore, groups have brought children in to see that it's possible to be an entrepreneur. It's possible to own something and to not be dependent on other people. And what annoys me so much is that so much of the money that comes into the other businesses doesn't stay in our community. Absolutely. And so where do you think or where are you seeing those dollars going? It goes to other, it goes to where these people live and it's not right where their businesses are. And, you know, that's a sticking point for me. And I know my father wouldn't be happy about that because before he died, there were a lot of up and coming African-American businesses on the strip. You know, little by little, they were taken over or they just went out of business like we almost did. But then look now, you know, seven years later, trying to push and still here and still thriving. And it's a testament to the resiliency. And I think if anything, King's Bookstore serves as a source of inspiration for the other more recent pop-ups of bookstores that have come about as mm-hmm. well that are focused, particularly in the Philadelphia, West Philadelphia area, generally speaking, everyone's trying to create their own little niche in the market. So mm-hmm. you all really pride yourselves on being able to have access to and to sell the rare collections as well. Things that people are like, you know, there's a limited edition or there were only X amount of copies. Mm -hmm. How do I get access to it? Because the library no longer has it or the library never had it, you know, as as opposed to some of the other bookstores that are also black owned and that are new within the last like two, three years Mm -hmm. that are also a haven for let's drink tea, let's have other kinds of events, but you all can coexist without there being this capitalist competition. Right. I'm not trying to compete with any other African-American bookstore because, you know, we all have our own mission and our own goals. And there's a there's a piece out here for everybody. I don't know what the numbers are, but the number of African-American bookstores in the country has decreased significantly. I mean, there are only three or four here in Philadelphia. I had a young lady come into the store the other day from New York. There are hardly any bookstores left in, in New York City any black bookstores. And I was telling her, I said, my dad used to go to New York to purchase his wholesale books. And I said, that's crazy. I'm not even sure if there's still an African-American bookstore in Harlem. Now that's really crazy. What do you think are some of the factors that have led to the decrease in the number of Black-owned bookstores? I mean, just face it, Black people read and Black women of all readers are the most prolific. Things like Amazon, which is the killer to everybody. And, uh, you know, because we can't compete with Amazon's prices and Amazon does not hold wholesale to bookstores. So I, I just think that it's it's a lot of work. My father had very many lean years. You know, if you're not in it for... I mean, it has to be a passion for you. And it was my father's passion. He sacrificed. I mean, he he worked for the city of Philadelphia for a number of years. But when when he finally decided this is what he wanted to do, he was eventually able to quit his job. You really have to be there. And he understood that he wasn't going to make a million dollars. And that wasn't his goal. I've had so many testimonies from people that had been incarcerated and said, your father sent me my first book in prison. The young boys in the neighborhood 
neighborhood. He used to try to talk to them. If you didn't have money for a book, I've heard all kinds of stories. He would give you the book. But when you came back, he quizzed you about that book. They laughed. They tell me, he said, oh, your father was a hard man. He said, but if he gave you a book, he wanted to know what it was about. And, and one of the things he started was the prison mail order because he saw the need. If he couldn't stop them before they got there, at least he wanted them to be educated once they got into prison so they could turn their lives around. And is that a practice you all continue today? So we still do prison mail order. Wow, that's beautiful. I think books are, they're gifts that keep on giving. And no matter how many times you read a book, you have a different perspective. You come to it differently. There are different lessons to be learned. And for him to be able to see the gift in books and to be able to share it with others is a beautiful thing. Act three, where we land. So Akeem's bookstore is on to big and better things always. Recently, Akeem's bookstore was recognized for an award through ESPN, right, Yvonne? Yes, we were awarded. We were one of four businesses that were chosen around the United States by ESPN. The NBA supports Black businesses. And we were given an opportunity to have a session with Damon John from Shark Tank. And it was a great, great experience. We were then partnered with the MBA students from Howard University and ESPN to give us uh, advice on how to continue to grow our business. And we've gotten a lot of support. As we have our listeners tuning in, can you share information on uh, the social media? What are the handles? Where can people find all the different posts and also the website? Okay, our website is hakeemsbookstore.com. Our Facebook page is the same, Hakeem's Bookstore and Gift Shop. Our Instagram is Hakeem's Bookstore. We are located at 210 South 52nd Street in Philadelphia, zip code 19139. Our phone number is 215-474-9495. And our email is bookstorehakeems at gmail.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Yvonne Blake of Akeem's Bookstore for joining us and sharing your journeys of belonging to Blackness. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. There you have it. The journey isn't over, but this episode is. Until next time, peace.